I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters. Here is your top five at five. We begin with Wall Street and its wild ride set to continue today after yet another volatile session. Futures pointing to gains at the open and developing overnight. Swiss regulators extending a lifeline to embattled Credit Suisse after its stock hit a fresh all-time record low, dragging the rest of the global banking stocks with it. Shares, however, are bouncing back in a very big way today. We're live at Credit Suisse HQ in just a moment. Back here at home, the regional bank reckoning it just rolls on in the wake of Silicon Valley Bank's collapse. The latest bank exploring strategic alternatives ahead, plus why shares of Meta and Snap, they're getting a bounce this morning. We're going to tell you how the White House could be playing a part. And then later on, Chinese tech company Baidu rolling out its chat GPT challenger. But investors apparently are not very impressed. It is Thursday, March 16, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Hollins. Kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. This morning, they're in the green across the board. The Nasdaq doing the best, up almost a half a percent. Uh, right now, actually, the Dow taking a turn to the negative, it looks like. But still an encouraging sign for a lot of people after a very, very volatile day yesterday. As I mentioned, a volatile trading day yesterday. They saw the Dow fall nearly 700 points at its low before clawing back some of those losses. You can see some of the movement right here. We also want to check the bond market this morning and the dramatic move lower in yields over the past several days. The two-year now at its lowest since all the way back in September. We're seeing 4.02 on the yield there. The 10-year at levels not seen since early February. Right now, the 10-year at 3.50. Important to note, though, this is about 50, 45 basis points lower than the 10-year started the month. Fears over a global economic slowdown and new risks stemming from the banking sector hitting oil hard as well. WTI coming off a sharp move lower yesterday. Now... Just below 68 bucks a barrel, just below 70 bucks a barrel. That's an important move in oil. It's at its lowest level since December of 2021. And right now we see it's up about three quarters of a percent, but still, again, below 70 bucks a barrel. And a look at crypto. We're always looking at crypto. We're seeing the moves in crypto right now pretty much untarnished here. We're seeing Bitcoin just below that twenty five thousand dollar mark up of more than a percent this morning. Ether up about three quarters of a percent. XRP up more than a half a percent. All right. Looking around the world, we're seeing red arrows across the board in Asia overnight with Hong Kong closing down nearly two percent on the day. Europe just getting its trading day underway. We're seeing green across the region over in Europe Uh, right now. The CAC up a percent doing the best out of those indices. All right. Sticking with Europe and new developments overnight for embattled investment bank Credit Suisse. Just one day after U.S. listed shares fell more than 30 percent to hit a fresh record low. The stock, however, this morning moving the other way in a very dramatic fashion. You can see shares are up almost 20 percent. But you have to see over here uh, Credit Suisse shares at about two bucks a share right now. Our Jeff Cutmore is live in Zurich outside of Credit Suisse headquarters with much more on this story. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, very good morning to you. Well, effectively, the central bank here, the uh, SNB, has stepped in and drawn a line under the pressure that we saw on Credit Suisse yesterday. Effectively, they've provided a $54 billion lifeline to Credit Suisse. Um, The question is, really, uh, does Credit Suisse need the money? 
Possibly not. When you look at the liquidity capital ratio, 150% at the uh, fourth quarter earnings uh, just a month or so back, they uh, reported a, a CET1 capital ratio of over 14% here. But this is not perhaps about the numbers. It, it's more about the fragility in markets and I guess the fact that uh, while markets are worried about ripples emanating from the SVB bank episode. They are looking for weak hands and Credit Suisse inevitably looks like one of those weak hands as it's been in almost constant restructuring in recent years. And there are still uh, some questions as to its profitability over the near term, given the bank has already told us that it expects a loss over full year 2020. So quite understandable, I think, that we've seen the, um, uh, the, the risks around owning Credit Suisse bonds and equity spike through the last 24, 48 hours. But the regulator will be hoping that they've done enough now to demonstrate to the market that this bank does not have a capital issue. And I think we're going to see some very volatile trade in Credit Suisse shares today as you get this uh, 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 ebb and flow between the bulls and the bears as to whether this bank now it is so cheap. If you believe that it will survive its own restructuring program, then perhaps it is a good long-term hold story. The trouble is, um, in this current febrile environment around financials, um, difficult to know how confident investors will be to step back in. Back to you. Yeah, Jeff, you know, a lot of questions about confidence in the banking sector, not only there in Europe, but here in the United States. We're looking at a lot of those European banks moving higher this morning. In general, is this um, lifeline basically by the Swiss government? Is it being well received by investors? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I think what what this is uh, saying is that um, the regulators will be willing to step in and provide support when it's a systemically important bank for the financial system. And I think the uh, the regulators learnt an awful lot after 2000 and 2000, 2007-2008 uh, when we saw the global financial crisis and the meltdown in the global banking system. So definitely in Europe, the banks have undergone a very po painful process of uh, running down risk assets over the last decade or so, um, trying to de-risk the balance sheet and um, prove that they are a stable and trusted place to park money. Um, of course, we've got a, a European Central Bank meeting today. Christine Lagarde is going to weigh in on uh, whether um, interest rates need to go a lot higher to tackle inflation, but no doubt she will also dwell on the issues of stability in the European financial uh, system. And I'm sure that she will also be making it very clear that the ECB is ready to step in where it feels it's necessary to provide support within the Eurozone, just as the Swiss National Bank has done here for Credit Suisse. Back to you. All right, Jeff, come more with the very latest in Zurich. Jeff, thank you very much. All right, sticking with financials and another developing story this morning around the fall of Silicon Valley Bank. Our Pippa Stevens is here with the very latest on that story. Good morning, Pippa. 
Hey, Frank. Well, new this morning, San Francisco-based lender First Republic Bank is reportedly exploring strategic options, including a sale in efforts to shore up liquidity. This comes after S&P Global Ratings and Fitch downgraded the bank to junk in the wake of the failure and government takeovers of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature. First Republic shares are trading at their lowest level in some 10 years after falling more than 20 percent yesterday. Separately, Reuters is reporting that regulators at the FDIC are setting a Friday deadline for those interested in bidding on Signature Bank and Silicon Valley Bank. Officials are aiming to sell both in their entirety, but will reportedly consider offers for parts if all-out sales are ruled out. This will be the second attempt at selling SVB after efforts failed last weekend. Frank? Thank you very much. Well, the crisis at Credit Suisse and the continued stress for U.S. banks in the wake of SBB's collapse, adding to the volatility in the broader market. The VIX trading at around 30 at the height of yesterday, the second time it's hit that level just this week. Let's talk much more about all of this with Vance Howard, CEO and Portfolio Manager at Howard Capital Management. Vance, great to have you here in person. Hey, good morning, Frank. How are you? All right. So we just kind of hit on some of the volatility, talking about the VIX there for a second. I have to ask you, of course, you have a lot of clients. How does this impact how you're balancing portfolios? Last time you were here, you were 60 percent equities, 40 percent cash. Has that changed meaningfully? It, well, it has. We, we, we jumped back in the market a little bit because we had, a, we had a, a change in the trend, which was very positive. But the two things you don't want to fight. Don't fight the Fed. Don't fight the trend. <laughs> and they usually City co- they, they, they basically coincide with each other. But we did have a good call there in January. We were, we, we, we were about 100 percent invested in January. And then February, we felt good about the market. But then with this banking crisis a week ago, that completely changed our outlook. And it did hit a lot of our stops, Frank. It's pulled us back out of the market quite a bit. Right. The market is teetering on the trend going negative. The 200-day, the S&P is below the 200-day today. And I'm telling you, a lot of managers look at that because it's, it's an important indicator. Our trend indicator is right there teetering on whether it's going to hold or it's going to turn negative. And I'm not real optimistic right now. And you know me, Frank. I've, I've been with you quite a while. I'm the most optimistic guy in the you, world. You certainly I'm always, are. I'm always a bull. But now's not the time to be bullish. You've got banks that are imploding. It's, it's, a, it's a stressful time. Yeah, I talked to you yesterday. You were at the coffee shop. You said you might have to hit the bar the way the markets were going. Um, yeah. It was a very volatile day. I want to run something by you, Vance. So J.P. Morgan out with a note yesterday saying the delayed effects of the Fed's tightening policy is stressing financial conditions. J.P. Morgan says headwinds to credit growth could cut up to 1% off GDP in the coming quarters. And the Fed will push the economy into recession later this year. J.P. Morgan also believes the Fed's not done yet, expecting a quarter point rate hike next week and a final move in May. So a lot of talk about that move next week. Will it be 25 basis points? Will it be no move at all? What's your take on what J.P. Morgan has to say? I think they have to do 25. I think if they don't do 25, they lose credibility. And I think if they don't do 25, it signals to the market that we got deeper problems than what they've been signaling that we have. And like, you know, I talked about yesterday, Frank. When you have your, your banks imploding, that, that's, that, that's that Houston, we got a problem call. <laughs> I mean, when you have your, that's, that's, the, that's the death threat. That's the not death, great. That is the, the worst that can happen yeah. is when your banks start imploding. You can have your garden, garden variety bear market. They come and they go. But when your financial system starts to break like this, then we got some real problems that you really need to be, pay attention to. And investors need to really wake up to this because 2008 was a real ordeal when banks literally, you, you woke up one night, Bear Stearns at 38, woke up that morning and they're okay. two bucks. So. All right. So before you hit the bar yesterday, we were talking, you said the 60 percent of your portfolio right now is in equities, mega cap tech, including the triple Qs. We saw Carl Icahn yeah. earlier this week saying the valuations are just too high. Yeah. What's your take on that? 
Well, like I said, I'm 40 percent in cash, so I guess we're, he and I are kind of in the same page because I think Carl's invested, too. I know he's not 100 percent in cash either. Right. So the point being is I like the mega caps right now. They're holding up better than anything else. Value and dividend stocks really took a beating, and that's really stopped us out because we had some of those, those holdings, Frank, and they stopped us out over the past week and a half or so. But I think you're seeing a rotation, too, from value into tech because tech got beat up really bad in 2022. So I think that it's a good place to park money. It's holding up better than a lot of other areas of the, of the market. But then again, a, you know, a one-month to three-month treasury is looking pretty attractive right now, too. Yeah, your, your pick for us today is the ticker BIL. It's an ETF that does <laughs> one- to three-month treasuries. But in your mind, it's basically cash. Ba- basically. Okay. But, but, and I know it's boring, Frank. I know that it is. But, but you know what? In safe and boring right now is, right. is A-OK. Right. Vance Howard, really appreciate you being here, man. Always great to have you here, and thanks for coming in person. Thank you, Frank. All right, much more coming up on WEX. When we come back, much more on the regional bank reckoning. We speak with one bank CEO whose stock has been relatively spared from the selling. We're going to tell you why. Plus, challenging chat GPT. That is easier said than done. Investors apparently not impressed with Baidu's latest offering. We are live in Beijing with that story. And then later, transport's heading for a sixth down day in a row. But could a report from FedEx today turn the tide? We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to WEX. Shares of Chinese search giant Badu under pressure in overnight trading. You can see down almost 6.5% as the company unveils its challenger to OpenAI and Microsoft's chat GPT. Our Eunice Yoon joins us now with the latest on this story. Eunice, a lot of people trying to get into this AI space right now. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but uh, as you saw from the stock, um, there was a lot of disappointment around the announcement by Baidu today. Uh, Baidu's stock plummeted as much as 10 percent at one point. And this is after founder Robin Lee fronted what turned out to be a disappointing presentation for their chatbot called ErnieBot. Now, during the uh, presentation, um, he was highlighting uh, many of, of the attributes of ErnieBot. He said that the Chinese language skills are, of course, incredibly competitive, and also um, highlighted a generation of a video. But during that presentation, he also admitted that the demo was pre-recorded, um, both the responses of the chatbot as well as the video. And that uh, raised a lot of criticism um, when people said that he said that it was to save time. But a lot of people thought that it should be a live demo and instead highlighted the fact that Baidu is far behind OpenAI's technology. Now, the company has been boasting that 650 companies have already signed on to uh, the ecosystem, they said, as they continue to try to build up the technology. But even though this was an official launch, Uh, Frank, Uh, what's interesting is that the company said that it's uh, still only a test run in-house and also available only to uh, selected tech partners. You know, really interesting. Number one, I got to ask you, why the name ErnieBot? Is there any significance to that? And then (laughs) then number two, um, not doing a live demo maybe hints towards that this isn't ready for prime time. What are analysts and other people over in China saying about ErnieBot? Yeah, well, a lot of people have been actually commenting on the name, saying uh, why, you know, I mean, this is sort of the English name, but still, uh, they said that, you know, why Ernie as opposed to anything else? Uh, But in terms of um, where it stands, there's been a lot of discussion about uh, the technology and that it could be at least a few generations behind. For example, ErnieBot does not role play um, as ChatGPT does. Uh, There's been also a lot of discussion about how the Chinese chatbot 
um, industry as a whole uh, has a lot of challenges, uh, not only from a technology perspective, but also because of the shortage of AI chips um, due to the U.S. restrictions. There's been a lot of discussion and kind of rumors as well that Baidu faced that very challenge. Uh, and then, of course, there's the censorship rules, uh, which people here have been saying, at least in the industry, that this really hampers uh, China's ability to have their chatbots go global. In fact, uh, there's kind of a joke among some of these tech guys that, it, that the collectively chat, uh, Chinese chatbot should be called, or they actually do refer to them as chat CCP, <laughs> or Chinese Communist Party. Because uh, the, the concern is that among authorities that have they've been indicated is that they're worried about the responses that these chatbots could spew out if it deems anything um, politically sensitive. So we're curious here as to what it might say or what any of the chatbots might say about President Xi Jinping. But uh, we're still waiting to, to get clearance to be able to uh, test out the Baidu chatbot. Yeah, I think that'll be a very interesting part. Also saw in your graphic there uh, a lack of U.S. chips also hampering development. A, a big story here in the U.S. that I'm sure we'll continue to follow and you'll follow as well. Eunice Yoon, always great to see you. Great reporting as always. All right, ahead here on WEX, your big money movers and why shares of Snap and Facebook, they're popping in the pre-market. Maybe, just maybe, they owe a call to the White House. We will explain in just a moment. All right, welcome back to WEX. Time now for your big money movers. We're going to start off with Adobe beating top and bottom line estimates for its fiscal first quarter. Also boosting its full year outlook, Adobe says the strong results reflect demand for content creation tools despite a softer economy. CEO Shantanu Narayan telling Jim Cramer on Mad Money last night that digital continues to be a tailwind for Adobe. Digital is such an amazing tailwind uh, in this economy. And when you look at our businesses, whether it's the creative business, uh, whether it's the document business that grew 22% uh, on a constant currency or whether it's the digital experience business where we're helping companies engage with their customers that grew 14% on a constant currency basis. Uh, we had strength across our segments, which was great. All right. Turning now to retail, Five Below also beating on earnings expectations, but giving a muted outlook for the first quarter. Still, the discount retailer says inventory remains strong and that it plans to open a record 200 new stores, roll out new categories and services, and it's boosting its marketing tactics. All right. Turning our attention over to space, shares of Virgin Orbit, they are plummeting this morning. The company says it's furloughing nearly all of its employees and pausing operations for a week as it looks for a new funding lifeline. According to people familiar with the matter, the furlough is unpaid, though employees can cash in PTO with only a small team continuing to work. You can see shares are down this morning of Virgin Orbit, uh, double digits. Finally, shares of Meta Platforms and Snap, they are popping in the pre-market right now. Snap doing even better, up almost 4.5% on reports that the competition for teen screen time may be getting just a little bit smaller. Our Arjun Kapala joins us now with much more on this story. Arjun, great to see you as always. Good morning, Frank. Look, a big story developing here. The Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States has asked ByteDance, the Chinese parent of video app TikTok, to sell TikTok or face a potential ban in the U.S. A person familiar with the matter confirming that indeed ByteDance uh, has uh, been asked to this request, but they are seeking further clarity from the U.S. government on this. The U.S. concerns right now is surrounding data. They're concerned that user data, American data, 
data from TikTok could be sent uh, and get into the hands of the Chinese government. TikTok said that selling wouldn't really mitigate this kind of national security risk. A spokesperson said if protecting national security is the objective, divestment doesn't solve the problem. They said any change of ownership would not impose any new restrictions on data flows or access. So TikTok very much, of course, against this move. It's not the first time TikTok's been threatened with a ban, but it is the first time under the current Biden administration. Previously, the administration of Donald Trump uh, threatened something similar in 2020, but that was ultimately blocked by the courts in the U.S. TikTok has tried to move to reassure it, uh, the U.S. on data, but right now, a potential ban certainly being welcomed by investors in Snap and Meta. You're seeing those shares pop given the fact that TikTok was such an intense competitor in this. If it's taken out the market, it could allow these companies to regain share, eyeball time and add dollars from advertisers as well, Frank. Yeah, certainly. Again, as you mentioned, Meta and Snap popping in the pre-market. So I think the big question here, how much of a challenge will it be for the U.S. to get TikTok blocked? And what does that mean or what could it mean for Chinese firms that are looking to expand here in the U.S.? I think it's going to be very difficult. Uh, there will be a bumpy road ahead. We saw under the previous administration of Donald Trump, he tried to get this ban. The courts ultimately blocked it. So there will be some other challenges uh, there as well. Uh, TikTok certainly knows it's got the legal route at its disposal. So certainly a long and bumpy road ahead, I think. In terms of Chinese firms, the, what this is signal really is the U.S. market is very much shut to a large swathe of Chinese technology companies. What was interesting, again, under the previous administration, when there were those sanctions against Huawei uh, that particular crippled its smartphone business. A lot of the smart Chinese smartphone makers didn't want to enter the U.S. market. And I think here, particularly with TikTok, arguably the most uh, successful Chinese Internet company to have entered the U.S. market, uh, any ban here, of course, again, will send those signals that the market is effectively shut uh, to a lot of these Chinese tech players. All right, Arjun, great stuff as always. Thank you very much. All right, straight ahead here on WEX, a look at Alphabet in the end of an era for its AR ambitions. And if you haven't already, follow the WEX podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. WEX will be right back. Stay with us. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on WEX. Here is what's still on deck. Fears around the health of the financial sector continuing to shake up the global markets. Futures suggesting some calm after Wednesday's rocky session. The calm coming as Swiss regulators look to stabilize Credit Suisse, lending the embattled bank billions to bolster its balance sheet and a potential fresh catalyst for markets. FedEx earnings on tap, getting the latest look at the shipping giant's turnaround efforts. It's Thursday, March 16th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to WEX. I am Frank Collin. Thanks for waking up with us. Let's pick up the half an hour with a check on where markets stand ahead of the open. We're looking at futures right now. Kind of a mixed picture right now. We're seeing the Nasdaq in the green. However, the Dow is down. Looks like it could open up about 90, almost 100 points at the open. But again, this is early. This after another volatile session on Wednesday. At its lowest point, the Dow was down nearly 700 points before trimming the vast majority of those losses. And now we also want to turn to the bond market. The two-year now at its lowest since all the way back in September. We're seeing the two-year now at 4.02. you got to remember, just a couple of days ago, a week or so ago, was above 5% the yield there. We're also seeing the 10-year note 
at 3.519 percent just about a month ago. Excuse me, at the start of this month, it was about 45, 50 basis points higher. So certainly something to watch at levels we haven't seen there since February, as I mentioned. We also want to hit oil, hovering at its lowest level since December of 2021, with WTI back under 70 bucks a barrel. You can see right now it's at 68 bucks a barrel, moving slightly higher this morning, up more than a half a percent. Brent crude at 74 bucks a barrel, up almost a percent. Natural gas, the best performer in the energy complex, up one and three quarters of a percent this morning. Dramatic pullback in oil hitting a number of energy company stocks over the last week. We're talking about Halliburton and Devon Energy. They're down 14 percent. Marathon Oil has shed 13 and a half percent. We're also looking at ConocoPhillips down nearly 10 percent, while Mobile, Exxon Mobil and Chevron, they're down slightly less, down 7 and 4 percent. Seeing a lot of downside moves when it comes to oil companies. All right, of course, we're watching what's happening overseas. Green arrows across the board over in Europe. After a volatile session yesterday, kind of mirroring what we saw here in the U.S., our Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in our London newsroom with much more. Good morning, Juliana. Good morning, Frank. Well, we are seeing this morning markets really breathe a sigh of relief. We've got gains across the board after yesterday. We saw a plunge in equities, a plunge in the euro on the back of that Credit Suisse story, which saw shares drop to an all-time low. Here's a picture for how the major bourses are trading, a fairly broad-based gains across this space. We are off the highs of the day. at the early In the early hours of trade, we had the stock 600 up about 1%. Uh, 1%. We've come off off those levels, but still, as you can see, hanging on to the gains for the most part. Let me get your check on Credit Suisse. We're obviously watching this stock very closely this morning. Right now, up about 20% back above the two Swiss francs a share level. We had been up as much as 30% at one stage, again, after crashing to that fresh all-time low yesterday. The SNB stepping in to help the lender, providing some assurance to the market. And we are seeing the broader European banking space move higher uh, in lockstep with Credit Suisse. Of course, we had a plunge yesterday across this space. So the gains you're seeing today are still smaller in magnitude compared to the losses that we saw yesterday. This Eurostox bank's index dropped about 7% yesterday. So, yes, we are seeing a rally in these lenders, but it comes after an unbelievably down day yesterday. In terms of the rest of the market, beyond the banking sector, oh, this is the picture sector-wise for Europe. Yesterday we saw uh, the defensive parts of the market perform best. Healthcare was the only positive sector in yesterday's trade. And now this morning, a reversal of the, that trend. So financial services, banks at the top, real estate, healthcare, basic resources underperforming. Frank? All right, Juliana, live in London. Thank you very much. Let's stick with the banks and get much more on Credit Suisse. Or Jeff Cutmore is live outside of Credit Suisse headquarters in Zurich. Jeff, what's the latest? Yeah, Frank, thanks very much for that. Well, Juliana commented on the SNB. This is the uh, Swiss National Bank, which effectively provided a backstop to Credit Suisse, guaranteeing a line of uh, $54 billion here. For the time being, that seems to have been enough to calm nerves. But that's for the time being. The problem for Credit Suisse is it just can't seem to get out of its own way. You know, earlier uh, in the week, um, we had further commentary around uh, technical reporting here. The SEC has obviously had its uh, issues with the way it thinks Credit Suisse is compiling its financial reporting. Uh, Go way back, and uh, at the end of the year, we had the news of the um, significant outflow of 
of client money, well in excess of $100 billion. So there are lots of small cuts here that the market has interpreted into a, a bigger picture, which Credit Suisse management say is not justified. And if you look at the capital levels here, the liquidity capital ratio at 150 percent, uh, for the end of the fourth quarter. Ultimately, the uh, CET1 ratio, 14.1%. Those numbers would look healthy if it weren't for the fact that we had SVB and the markets incredibly fragile and jittery about financials. And so that's where we are with Credit Suisse now. The latest here, we have this backstop. That, for the time being, should perhaps put uh, some confidence back into the share price. And as we've seen from the uh, get-go this morning, shares up strongly as markets begin to believe that just maybe in the interim enough has been done to stabilize confidence. Back to you. Yeah, it certainly looks like confidence is being stabilized. Credit Suisse shares up 20% this morning. Jeff Cutmore with the very latest in Zurich. Jeff, thank you very much. All right. We're also watching shares of FedEx this morning as the company gears up to report its fiscal third quarter results after the bell today. Investors looking for any insight into the impact of the company's recent cost cutting measures that included a round of layoffs and its performance during the peak shipping season after it beat profit expectations, but it missed on revenue last quarter. FedEx moving higher this year, up almost 15 percent and outperforming the broader Dow transport sector, which is coming off a five session losing streak. Joining me now to discuss Ken Hexter, B of A Securities Research Analyst. Ken, great to have you here. All right, Frank, good morning and, and congrats on the morning show. Oh, thank you very much, Ken. All right, so we've got to look ahead to FedEx. The thing I want to really start off with, we know that they're cost cutting. We're going to get dig deeper into that, but the estimates right now. So the estimates have revenue falling about 4%, but profit falling about 40%. That's the consensus. Your B of A estimates are just about the same. What does that say about this company and what people think about this company? Well, you've got a fixed cost network, right? And that's the, the, the huge problem and overhang for FedEx has been how do we align that with volumes falling, right? So volumes are down 10, close to 10%, uh, double digits. And, and so the problem with FedEx in, in that kind of fast and moving environment, uh, shifting from a COVID where everything was order at home and stay at home and, and get more goods to now a, a more normalized environment. Uh, but, you know, they've got to react. And, and they were a little slow to react and cutting costs. And even before then, they needed to structurally pull some costs out. Uh, we had a change of management about a year ago, and, and so now we're seeing uh, kind of both sides of it. We're, we're seeing the, about a billion dollars of focus on costs uh, to, to, to pull costs out on a, on a, a cyclical basis, and then they've got a longer-term $4 billion uh, move to pull costs out more structurally. And that's, you know, that's the, the balance that you want to do with a fixed-cost network. As volumes are falling, you've got to act a little quicker, and that's why you're seeing – Revenues down, as you mentioned, about 5%, but earnings down or, or operating income down even about uh, eight times that, about 40%. Yeah, a really dramatic move there. So, by the way, you've mastered the art of understatement. You said a management change. Founder uh, Fred Smith, a legend in the transports industry, decides to step down. His second-in-command, Raj Subramanian, takes over. It's been a bit of a rocky ride, including this drive transformation plan that, as, you, as we just mentioned, Cuts worker hours. It cuts flights for its signature express service where they get about 50 percent of their revenue. Um, they have an update to that coming up next month here in New York City, actually. What are you expecting to hear on the conference call about this cost cutting plan that's in the billions? Um, how much progress do analysts like you and you think investors need to see during this quarterly call? That's a great question, right? I think that the question is how much you've done a couple of things to move it along fast, right? They 
They put a hiring freeze in starting last June. If you think about 10,000 open positions, that could be about four or five hundred million dollars of savings right there uh, that they could pull forward that they've been talking about. You mentioned the directors and officers cuts by about 10 percent. That could be another 60 million. So you're talking over a half a billion dollars of savings toward that long term goal of four billion dollars. That's outside the cyclical, right? The cyclical is the parking aircraft you mentioned real quick there, uh, the purple tails that they've been doing through uh, post-peak season, getting that, that uh, shut down real quick to align with where volumes are today. That's the cyclical nature. The, the structural uh, is really, can you pull some of that forward? And I think that's why when you look at earnings down 40% year over year, any upside surprise would be that they've gotten those costs out of the system even faster. And that would be uh, key to what investors are looking for in the quarter uh, this afternoon. All right, Ken, I think the big question a lot of investors are wondering, where do you stand with this stock? Is it a buy? Is it a sell? Are you neutral? And would you buy ahead of the print right now? Because certainly there could be a big surprise or there could be a big letdown. Yeah, you know, we, we, we did upgrade this a little while ago on, on the, uh, the cost cuts, right? I think this is something that you mentioned the management change between Fred Smith to, to Raj Subramanian. Uh, you know, that is the opportunity uh, you know, they missed out of the gate after they had an analyst day last June. Uh, then you mentioned the beat that they did. I, I think now it's about Raj is in, in place. He's got to put his stamp on the company. We think, uh, you know, some of these moves like the hiring freeze, like the cost cutting uh, are going to bleed into this quarter. You're going to see that early and that's going to give you the opportunity to see the credibility being built, the cost cutting that they're getting on and can give you a real opportunity. So we, we, uh, have a buy on it. We like it into the quarter. I think that can give you an opportunity, one of the best opportunities, because you've got idiosyncratic moves here of cost cutting in a weak freight environment uh, be above and beyond what some of the others are doing. And that gives you the opportunity to get that upside. That, that could be a surprise there. All right. FedEx shares up almost a percent and a half in the pre-market. Ken Hexter of B of A. We appreciate the insight. All right. Coming up here on WEX, the CEO of Old National Bank on the fallout facing regional banks from SBB's collapse and the new fears hitting the overall financial sector. That exclusive conversation when Worldwide Exchange returns. You don't want to miss this one. Stay with us. All right. Welcome back to WEX. The fallout of Silicon Valley Bank continue to weigh on regional banks as risk to funding and liquidity just really remain top of mind. Um, the latest, San Francisco-based lender First Republic, looking at the chart right here, down about a percent and a half, reportedly exploring strategic options, including a sale in efforts to shore up liquidity after being cut to junk by S&P Global Ratings and by Fitch Ratings yesterday. That stock down more than 60 percent in the past week alone. You're seeing the same chart I'm looking at. But one major player has been relatively spared from the regional bank reckoning. That's Old Dominion Bank, down only 8 percent in the last week and outperforming the regional bank ETF. That's the KRE in that same time. Jim Ryan is the CEO of Old National Bank. He joins me now in a CNBC exclusive. Jim, great to have you on. Thanks for your time. Good morning, Frank. Great to be with you today. All right, so Old National operates in Chicago, or as you would say, Chicago, and uh, other parts <laughs> of the Midwest. Um, Correct. So far from Silicon Valley. You don't, have, you don't really have anything to do with that. But I'm sure you've seen some of the fallout. So give us a sense of what are your customers saying to you about their deposits? Are they moving deposits? Are they asking you questions? What are the questions? Well, Old National Bank's been in business for 188 years. And our clients have been with us a very long period of time. And I would like to say we have Midwestern sensibilities. And so our clients are obviously concerned what's going on in the marketplace. But they know that the bank is very strong. And, and we've had long, deep relationships so we're having lots of conversations with clients about 
you know, the strength and stability, obviously, of, of regional banks in general, but old national specifically, and they're very comfortable. And I would say operations are very much business as usual uh, across, the, across the Midwest and especially here at Old National. Very strong bank uh, and, and deep relationships with our clients. All right. So we got a graphic we want to show the audience right now. I want to ask you about uninsured deposits and also unrealized losses. So we look at Silicon Valley Bank. They had a very high level of uninsured deposits. And also they took some big losses on their treasury investments. Um, right now we're showing the audience, the wall on TV and, and radio. Silicon Valley Bank had about 93, 94 percent of their deposits that were uninsured. Also took a look at your balance sheet. And you and I talked a little bit about this. Um, on your balance sheet right now, you have about $5 million in unrealized losses on treasuries. So first, can you give us a sense of what percentage of your deposits are uninsured? And then how do you resolve these losses on treasuries? We saw what it did to Silicon Valley Bank. But of course, you have a very different business. Yeah, our, our deposit base is very granular. About half our deposits come from individuals, and the rest come from commercial businesses. And those business models, like you've seen out Silicon Valley, are very different, right? A very high concentration of commercial our commercial clients with uh, big relationships, and ours are very granular with individuals and small business that make that up. And so for us, it's a little bit different. In terms of investments. Uh, all banks invest, all individuals and, and banks and corporations have bought fixed rate investments over the years. And as, as interest rates have risen, the value of those investments have come down. Um, but it, banks uh, are really good typically at managing the trade-offs between, you know, having long-term investments and then also being able to generate near-term liquidity. Uh, I think the Fed uh, program that came out on Sunday was a real boost to confidence that in case uh, we need to go out and pledge these assets to generate liquidity uh, for our depositors, we're going to be there. The Fed's going to be there with us. Okay. And so I think banks are overall in very good shape and uh, pleased with the, the programs that have announced to date. All right. I don't want to put you two on the spot. Do you have a, a rough number for your uninsured deposits? Is that a big thing for roughly, Old National Bank? It, it's, it's not a big thing. It's roughly a third. Uh, so by any comparison, uh, we would show up very well relative to the industry. Okay. So uh, I'm not that well versed in the banking industry, but I think all of us have gotten a, a quick crash course in banking. So the vast majority of your revenue comes from net interest income. That's basically people deposit with you. You loan out those deposits. You make money. There's a spread there. So this crisis, um, a lot of people are saying all the money is going to go to the big banks. What would that mean for your business? And you have a chance to talk to a lot of people out here that bank with regional banks or people that are thinking about it. What would you say about the need for your bank and, and the services you provide? I know Generally, regional banks, they're the biggest lenders in the areas that they're in. That, that's a great point. I, I think there is a risk that the big banks get bigger. And as we talked about, they play an important need for the U.S. economy, but so do mid-sized banks and community banks. You know, ultimately, we serve uh, different markets, different communities. And I think it's important that we have a very diverse and robust set of banks. Uh, and so I, would, I think it would be a long-term shame if the big banks just keep getting bigger and it really takes away from our ability to serve, you know, smaller markets and rural markets, it's important to have banks of all sizes to serve all of our clients in the, in the United States. You know, Jim Ryan, great to have you on. CEO of Old National Bank. You actually just took a polar plunge in Lake Michigan to support the local community and a charity. I don't know how many of those big bank CEOs are going to do that. Jim Ryan, great to have you on here on WEX. We're hoping you're going to come back. Thank you, sir. All right, ahead here on WEX, RBC's, RBC Capital's Amy Wu Silverman lays out the trading day ahead and the key signals she's watching within the markets amid renewed volatility. 
And throughout the month of March, we're celebrating women's heritage, sharing the stories of women leaders in business and those of our CNBC teammates and contributors. As we head to break, here is Kate Spade CEO, Liz Frazier. I really want people to understand the acute impact that women's mental health has on their ability to feel empowered. Women's mental health has been long under-acknowledged and underfunded, and yet it's such a pressing concern. I am the mother of a daughter and the CEO of a female-founded brand, and the vast majority of our employees and customers are women, so I see and live this every day. This is why at Kate Spade, we put mental health at the heart of our social impact work. We know there is so much more work to do, but let's use Women's Heritage Month to think about how we can do it. All right, welcome back to WEX. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. Shares of Snap and Meta, they're surging on reports. TikTok may, fa- may face a possible ban here in the U.S. The parent company ByteDance fails to divest its stake. Badu moving in the opposite direction after the unveil of its chatbot, ErnieBot, missed market expectations with brief pre-recorded videos of the AI tool in action. Virgin Orbit is furloughing nearly all of its employees and pausing operations for a week as it looks for a funding lifeline. Shares tumbling on that news. Adobe beating on earnings and revenue for its most recent quarter and boosting its full-year outlook. Shares are moving higher this morning. Google pulling the plug on sales of its augmented reality glasses. This marks the second time in the past 10 years Google has discontinued that hardware. And oil prices tumbling to the lowest level since December of 2021. WTI was trading at just over 76 bucks a barrel just a week ago. We're also gearing up for the trading day ahead. Weekly jobless claims and February housing starts are out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. Dollar General and FedEx, they report their quarterly results. The European Central Bank is meeting today with the rate decision at 9.15 a.m. Eastern. The markets are pricing in a 40 to 45 percent chance of a 50 basis point rate hike down from 100% odds just last week before the collapse of SVB and the crisis at Credit Suisse. All right, let's stick with that in the trading day ahead, and we're going to bring in Amy Wool-Silverman, head of derivative strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Amy, great to have you here. Great to see you. All right, I think we just got to jump off that last point right now. We're looking at Credit Suisse this morning, of course, watching the regional banks here in the U.S. I know you are uh, an expert when it comes to options. So give us a sense of some of the options action we're seeing when it comes to banks specifically. Sure. So, you know, what was interesting is before we even saw the Silicon Valley news last week, we did see a good amount of put buying of downside buying KRE, which is the regional banks index. We also saw it in KBE and XLF. So essentially what we've seen now is after the collapse of SVB, we've also seen a lot of monetizing of those downside trades, essentially investors saying, look, you know, what we, what we were looking for in terms of downside exposure, we got that from the trade, but we've closed that now. So, you know, one thing that would concern me is we saw a slew of more downside buying. We have not yet seen that in the derivatives market. That's really interesting. So uh, also this Friday, we have what is called triple witching day. It's the expiration of monthly uh, options and it's also the expiration of quarterly options. So give us a sense. Do you see that having an impact on the markets for today and tomorrow? 
I think it will, you know, especially in terms of these short term moves, there's a lot of exacerbation of moves that happens when options comes into play. Uh, Obviously, you know, options expiry is something to watch. And what we've seen in the last three years, at least, Frank, is that these tend to be negative drags in the short term uh, because of options expiration. But usually options expiration is a clearing event. Now, I think this time it's a little different because what we also have is the Fed decision on March 22nd. So usually while you do see volatility come in, I think it actually kind of stays bid, obviously, because there's such a major event ahead as well. Yeah. Speaking of a major event, we have the ECB decision coming up today. Obviously, we have our Fed decision coming up next week. How do you see these two moments, these two inflection points impacting the markets? You know, it's it's really tough. Uh, just a rock in a hard place, a pickle. You know, I don't know what other <laughs> words you can think Here's of. Here's another metaphor. But, uh, one more. It's uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, now I can't think of one. Um, but you know, what I would say is, right now, in terms of pricing, we're definitely seeing the options market say, "Look, the magnitude of swings is definitely going to be larger than usual." We do that by kind of looking at both what is implied by the put option and the call option exactly on the strike uh, for that event, and you know, all it can tell us that is that the magnitude of swing is going to be larger. Larger, but unfortunately, it's not leading towards one direction or another. And I do think you just saw this massive inflection, not only in bonds, but options. And uncertainty is just very high. So people are really waiting for this event to at least give some direction to where we go, you know, in the next year, which has changed a lot in the last week. Yeah, absolutely. We we're talking about the VIX earlier in the show, elevated. Uh, we saw wild swings in the market yesterday. So again, we have the ECB's decision coming up later today. When you're looking at the markets, where are you seeing the opportunities and where are you seeing the areas that you would stay away from, I guess, outside of banks? I think a lot of people think banks are just too volatile right now. Yeah, it does get to a point when, you know, it's interesting because at these volatile volatile high levels in banks, you know, people usually would say, you know, should I be selling options? I don't think anyone is, is daring to do that at this point. But, you know, what I do see people doing is saying, okay, look. If we have this situation where the banks are not doing great, you know, what is rolling down the line? So we are seeing downside expressed in airlines, for instance, downside being expressed in the consumer trade. And I think what investors are saying is what are the lead on effects from the fact that the Fed has kind of broken something? You know, who can be, you know, who can go next, essentially? Where will that next downside be? So we do see downside uh, expressed in XRT and XLY and these consumer trades that actually previously were quite strong. All right. Always appreciate the insight. Amy Wu Silverman of RBC, thank you for being here. That's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box, coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.